0: City is a church in Bath, Maine, that exists to make disciples, develop leaders, and plant churches that multiply. This week, Pastor Joel Littlefield is starting a new sermon series titled "Rightly Handling the Truth," and this week he is preaching through Revelation chapter three, verses fourteen through twenty-two. And the sermon title is "When Jesus Comes Knocking." We hope you are blessed by the message today.
1: Please turn in your Bibles or open your apps up to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation 3 Our passage this morning is going to be the end of the chapter verses 14 through 22. Revelation 3:14 through 22. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. and white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of God.
0: Thank you for a, a beautiful weather out and a cool building to gather in, we are so grateful. Lord, I pray that today you would give us ears to hear. As we read, give this church, those who call this church their family, and those who are visiting today, those that maybe are part of your church, but they, they are wandering. They don't have a local church of their own. Lord, give us ears to hear. Give us ears to hear the Spirit as you speak to us, as you call us to faith and repentance. I pray you'd fill our minds with the things of God and things of Scripture and that what would not be on our minds would be the things of this world that would so easily distract us and draw us away from the truth this morning. But Lord, as we hear your word, may we apply it to those areas of our lives that do distract us. I pray we would be people not only who hear your word, but do your word and obey it. So we thank you. God, give us a, a, a wonderful morning just submitting to and resting in the truth of Scripture today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so... Um, Before I jump into what uh, the series is and um, where where we're going, I'm going to give a little bit of a kind of a heads up of what's coming in the next six weeks. I wanted to just give one or two uh, kind of housekeeping things. And so we have a bookstore, shelf, free books kind of back there. And we've noticed that we come in sometimes and there's just random books on there. We just want to encourage you to run all of those sorts of things past the elders before you throw a book up there because as you know there's thousands of books out there some of them could be heretical some could be really good and we you may have liked the book and thought it was great but we would just ask you to you know that makes sense right you know i think i saw the book of mormon back there i'm just kidding no 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 nothing like that but just just uh, for you church members and brothers especially if you're new here and you're like oh look there's a place to just throw my books because i don't have room at my house you know it's not for that um so just keep that in mind and um And so let me just, uh, I want to give you guys a heads up of where we're going. I I mentioned to our church family last night in our uh, GroupMe chat that we're going to have six weeks in a new series. And here we read Revelation 3, like what's that? We're going to do six weeks in Revelation 3? No. Um, So the next six weeks we are doing a series called Rightly Handling the Truth. And we have together, the elders as well as the two pastors at Thompson Baptist got together and we sort of looked over uh, several scriptures that are often mishandled, misquoted, kind of used flippantly in our world or in the church. And so if you look at 2 Timothy 2.15, it'll be on the screen, just look at this, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. And then again in the CSB, be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the Word of God. So we looked at that, and we know that it is important that we, not only as elders, teachers, pastors, but congregation members, people in the body of Christ, those who love the Word of God, if you're a Christian and you have a Bible and you read it, you need to handle the Word of God correctly. That means that there's an incorrect way to handle the truth. There's a correct way and an incorrect way. So we're going to take um, the next six weeks and do that. After those six weeks, we're going to do three weeks covering small books, uh, four weeks covering small books of the Bible. We're going to do Titus, there's three chapters, and then we're going to either do Jude or Philemon. That's going to be the next four weeks. And then after that, um, this is kind of giving you a little hint and what's going on with our timeline, but we're going to tell you more next week when we gather again with Tops Baptist here. And uh, so, the, and after those four weeks, we will be doing a series on our values as a church. We thought that would be wonderfully good timing with the infusing of two churches coming together, right? Uh, to talk about what we value as a church. And then we're, our, then we're at Advent, and then we'll be in the Christmas season after that, right? So we'll do Advent, and then in the new year, we'll jump back into a book. Whether that's Old Testament, New Testament... Uh, I don't know, but that gives us some time. It kind of gives you the layout, so just keep praying for that whole process. Somewhere in that timeline, you're going to start seeing a lot more of Thompson Baptist people, but next week, we'll give you that official timeline of what's going on with the merger. If you're new here, if you haven't been in the conversations, New City Church is merging with Thompson Baptist. It's been a question of when, not if, and uh, it's an amazing thing that God is doing. I love, we, the elders, we all it's just an amazing work. And so just keep praying for those people. Some of you have already begun to reach out to them, connect with them, fellowship with them. Some of you are going there on Wednesday nights and for their Bible study. And so just keep praying for that. You know, just saying the temple's the only one who's allowed to do that, okay? Nobody else approached the stage. I'm <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> that would be weird, all right? Okay, so there you go. You have all that, and so we're going to be, this is the series, Rightly Dividing the Truth. I hope this is a huge blessing. It may step on toes, but that's because at New New City Church, we aren't afraid to step on toes. It's actually kind of part of our culture, right? We believe that God's Word should have that right to tell us what to think and how to believe and what to do with our lives, how to live, what to determine is false or true, and that's something that we should do. And if that's new to you, if you're like, well, no, I've gone to churches where they just let me believe whatever I want, that's not good. It's not right. God's Word tells us to rightly handle the truth, and so this will be hopefully challenging. And so those are the things that inspired our, our study into this in this next six weeks. And, and you're going to hear from me a few times, as well as Pastor Michael Britt will be involved in this series. Uh, Eric is going to preach once, and then also John will preach once. So you're going to get to hear a mix of, of the teachers in this church, which will be fun. Now, we have two main goals for this series. If you're taking notes, if you want to kind of take notes through this series, that might be kind of cool to keep track of these things. Um, the two main goals with this series, first of all, is to show how dangerous it can be to mishandle the Word of God. That is a, that's a one primary goal. How dangerous, it is, how dangerous it can be to mishandle the Word of God, whether it's by flippantly quoting the Bible or taking verses out of context or lazy study just being lazy about the word. You like read something, you don't study it, and you just say, well, it means this, and you don't study it, so you don't know. That can be a dangerous thing. You can form bad doctrine around those things. And, and whatever the case is, all of these things can lead to negative outcomes. It can lead to heresies. you just preaching something that's, or believing or saying something that's false to somebody. It can lead to personal bad doctrine. What you're believing in and letting, you, you're chewing on things that could be false. And then ultimately, it can lead to deception and leading others astray. So imagine that. like you, you mishandle God's word. You believe something without looking at context. And next thing you know, you're telling somebody else something that's just not true. Or it's just a, at the root of it is mishandling. Paul's words to Timothy that I already read speak of accuracy and precision. That's what that word actually means. To correctly handle the word of truth. If you break that down in the Greek term, to, to rightly or correctly handle the truth, it speaks about accuracy. Isn't that cool? To accurately handle the truth, which gives anybody who stands up here a massive responsibility, which is why the Bible says, don't let anyone, not, not just anyone should be teachers, and in fact, not all of you should be teachers, because there's a greater judgment for those who open the Word and explain it. It's a, it's a great, great responsibility that we don't, don't want to take lightly. If there is a way to read and study the Scripture with correctness, then we must also take that as a warning not to be careless. So we hope to show that in the series. The second part of the goal is to show, on the flip side, the beauty and truth of the doctrine or the theology in that particular text that we've chosen. So we've chosen six different texts, and within that is usually like a verse that's usually thrown out of context or misunderstood from being mishandled. So we'll show you how it was, it's dangerously mishandled, and then we're going to just say, all right, here's the beauty of what the doctrine means. Hold on to this. Hold on to this. Not because it's on our authority, but we're going to be leaning heavily on the context of the Bible, sola scriptura, right? The Bible has the final authority in our lives. And so if scripture says this, this is where we're going to hold on to. So, that's the second part of the goal, to show you the beauty of that, of that chosen text and how rightly handling the truth can give us a clearer view of God, which you all need that. I need that. To clearly see who God is, to see his word, to have good doctrine, right thinking, right theology, and then from all of that, what happens from right theology? Right living. It changes the way you live. It can change the way you, th- you think. So we brainstormed several, and we've chosen six. And as always, sermons are not just preached, they are also heard. So when we come into this building, just a reminder, a loving reminder for you New City Church family, or if you're a guest here and you're not used to the preaching here, it's not just my responsibility or the elders' responsibility to teach the truth, but it's, it's the responsibility of the gathered congregation to hear the truth. Don't let your minds wander. Be diligent, be in, intentional, be intentional, about hearing the Word and hearing God's Word and then applying it to your life. Purpose it in your heart that you will be listening diligently, applying the Scriptures, studying the Scriptures as you leave here so that, as Paul told Timothy, you will have no need to be ashamed because you've been rightly handling the truth. So, you've heard the text read. What's the text within that larger reading that Matt did? Maybe you've possibly guessed it, but zero in on Revelation 3, verse 20. He read verses 14 to 22. Revelation 3, 20 says, See, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. Have you ever heard that verse before? Yes. Very, very common. The question is that we're going to pose with all of these sermons is what? what would it mean to rightly handle this word and what are the dangers of mishandling this word? What are, the, what's, what are the benefits? What does it mean to rightly handle it and what are the dangers of mishandling it? The most common way this text has been handled is to picture Jesus. You've maybe seen, there's a famous guy who has made paintings of this and maybe you've seen it on some wall or Googled it or something. Jesus standing outside of a door of what would be the unbeliever's heart gently knocking kind of leaning on the door he's whiter than ever doesn't even look like a (laughs) Middle Eastern Jesus Um, gently knocking waiting outside sometimes with a lamb in his hand the lamb holding the lamb right Um, (laughs) until that person lets him in that's the picture that we're given very very common understanding of what that scripture is saying Jesus is on the outside of the unbeliever's heart knock 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 doors shut nobody's letting him in Okay, this verse has also been used for countless altar calls. We don't do altar calls here in the traditional sense of that, where every Sunday we give everybody an opportunity to be saved. And when I mean everybody, I mean everybody. Like, get saved every Sunday. No, that's not what we do here, right? We don't try to create an environment where you feel like you have to make a decision today. But we believe God is sovereign over salvation. And if you should make that decision, God is going to speak to your heart. God's the one that's going to do that work. But at altar calls, often we've heard this preached, a preacher might get someone to imagine this scene, and that individual is led to believe that the God of heaven is not going to save that person without their permission. That's what's actually being portrayed. God is knocking, you need to answer because He wants to save you, you need to let Him in. He's knocking. So it's a salvation verse in that context. of of an altar call. We're talking to unbelievers in that context. But they're led to believe that the God of heaven is not going to save a person without their permission. All of the weight of salvation is placed on the unbeliever to answer the door. Are you going to let him in? That's the question that would be posed. Hey, are you going to let him in? Are you going to let him in? When we handle the Scripture, we want to exegete the passage, right? So how many of you have heard of the word exegete or exegesis? Raise them high, not timidly. There we go. Cool. Yeah, so it's a very important term. Whether you use the term or not, what it means is so, so important. So here's the definition that's on the screen. Exegesis is the critical interpretation of the biblical text to discover its intended meaning. Not what you want it to mean or what culture has shaped it to mean, but what it was intended to mean by the Holy Spirit through the inspired author. So exegesis can be applied in several different types of texts, but biblical exegesis, we can understand. That is so important. So, so important. This is not the first time that's been mentioned here. But I wanted to just remind you again, this means that even if we think it could work, that text, Revelation 320, even if we think it could work to use in evangelism, you might say, well, what's the harm? What's the harm? I could be on the street talking to people. and I mean, it's worked before. God is knocking on your heart, and they start thinking. What's the harm? I could use this to sway someone's decision to follow Christ, to give them the urgency of the moment, or to teach how the Lord deals with a heart that is shut up like a closed door. Those are realities that seem, from the human perspective, like, no, there's a door shut, and I don't know how to get in. So I think I should just tell them that Jesus is knocking on the door. Maybe that will help them to open the door. Maybe. But these questions come into our mind. Couldn't it work? None of those feelings actually matter. None of those feelings actually matter if the text was intended for another purpose altogether. It would be wrong for us to develop a mindset of interpreting Scripture based on how we feel the Bible should be talking. right? So if we do that with one verse, we'll do that with 100 verses, and next thing you know, we have formed all kinds of improper thinking about Scripture that can be dangerous. One way to determine or help determine an author's intended meaning is that the biblical author will not say something that would contradict another scripture. Right? That's one way that you can kind of have a litmus test. So, is salvation like this? Thinking about that text, Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He who opens the door, I will come in, I will eat with him, I will sup with him, the King James. I've always liked that version of it better. I will sup with him. What's up with him now? Whatever. Uh, So is salvation like that? Is it like that? Is it like Jesus standing at a door of someone's unbelieving heart without faith, just waiting for them to let him in? You don't have to answer. Just think about it. There is a responsibility for sure, without a doubt, given to the human being to respond in faith to the gospel to receive the gift of God's grace, to take up their cross and follow Jesus. These are things that are given to someone to do sometime at or around the point of a person's conversion or regeneration. These are things that we see. They put their faith in Christ. They are regenerated. They say, I'm following you. They pick up their cross. They deny themselves. They repent. They turn. We see these things. But is this what Christ was saying in Revelation 3? Is that what he was saying? Consider Paul's words in Ephesians 2. And uh, by the end of the sermon, we're going to completely look at that whole section of Revelation 3, 14 to 22, just so you know. We're going to get there, we're going to look at that entire text. But look at Ephesians 2, 1, thinking in terms of what is it that we should be picturing in terms of an unbeliever's heart. Ephesians 2, 1, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Why would I reference Ephesians 2, 1 with Revelation three twenty? Well, think about what, you're, what you could be picturing, right? What is Jesus doing? He's standing outside of an unbeliever's heart and he's knocking and waiting, which would mean presumably there's somebody on the inside doing what, right? Whatever it is. But this is Paul's description of a person before they've come to Christ. This is Paul's description of a sinner before salvation. Basically, Nobody's home. Nobody's home. So there's the door of the heart, but there is nobody home. Why? Because the sinner who is outside of Christ, according to Paul, is actually busy in their disobedience to Christ. They are actively pursuing the world, they are actively against God. They're not just sitting in the living room of their heart hearing Jesus knock. And then they will respond. The sinner outside of salvation is following the course of this world and the spirit of Satan. That person is not asleep on the couch hearing the Lord's knock and not answering, but is, according to Paul, dead in their coffin. Dead in their sinful nature. And what does the sinful nature teach us about in Scripture? That that sinful nature, the deadness in sin, speaks of an active pursuant of the things that God hates. a a child of disobedience. Answering the door for Jesus is no more like our moment of regeneration than Lazarus stepping out of the grave at the call of Christ when he resurrected Lazarus. Think about this moment. When Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, he could hear him because he had already been made alive. We didn't get to see inside the grave, but when Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, Lazarus, come out, Presumably, I get it, it's a presumption, I wasn't in there, but Lazarus heard him and then came out of the grave. Lazarus, come forth. A picture of resurrection, a picture of the, the dead heart that needs reviving. And so, the door picture to me, based on these, this text, and it'll become very, very clear when we look at the context, is inaccurate. Another problem with using the text this way is if you're not careful, you can settle in your hearts an attitude about Jesus and about the preaching of the gospel, a certain attitude about it, that preaching should never be forceful. That picture of Jesus outside knocking is a very specific picture about the preaching of the gospel, even by Christ himself, that preaching should never be forceful. It should always be polite, like knocking. That we should never speak as though God demands anything. No, just knock. Leave it up to the person. Just knock on the door. They'll answer if they want. They'll answer when they're ready. That we should never say that God demands anything. Can God demand Lazarus to come out of the grave? Yes. He commanded it. He demanded it. Lazarus, come out. He also commanded his resurrection, the revival of that man's physical body. And so we hear things like this. Are you going to allow God to move in your life? When are you going to begin to allow God to do such and such? Aren't you going to allow him to do this? And I, I see this kind of verbiage coming out of my mouth sometimes too because it's ingrained into me. I don't know the last time I've ever allowed God to do anything. Let me think about it. Can you allow him or disallow him? Can you, can you say you don't have permission, God, and God just is at your He bends to your will. And though there are some nuances within that, you're like, well, no, this is worth having a conversation about. Yes, but all in all, we have to say, no, we don't don't give God permission to do things. And this does fit nicely. This whole idea of allowing God and knocking and being politely, it fits into this overly feelings-driven culture. It's almost a form of Christian humanism. Bending those two together. Christian humanism where God doesn't just save us, but we allow him to save us. God doesn't save your friend, but your friend or your family member or the one that you ache for to come to Christ. God won't save them. They have to allow him to save him. They need to open the door. They need to answer, Jesus, come on in. Now look with me at 2 Corinthians 4. Well, again, we'll come back to Revelation. but Again, we're just trying to look at that aspect of the door. What is it then? What is this door that's blinding or that is between the sinner then and the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Paul speaks of this very clearly in 2 Corinthians 4, beginning in verse 1. Read through this carefully with me. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's Word, but by the open statement of the truth, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, so think about now we have something else that's in between the sinner, right, and God. If our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, those that are perishing, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the Unbelievers. So we know he's talking about unbelievers here. He says it. He's blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That's describing salvation. When you see the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, you've been saved. And the blindness is to keep you from... Seeing that, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That is a beautiful text, absolutely wonderful. And if we see this in this passage, we don't have a door, but we have a veil, and Paul acknowledges that. The veil describes the blindness and the unbelief of a sinner separated from the knowledge of Christ. That's very clear in the scripture. It's a blindness. It's a veil. It's similar, similar to the veil that blinded Israel every time the law of Moses was read, but they did not see Christ. He said it's just like that. The veil, and every time the law was read, you didn't see You're reading it, but you're not seeing it. And they did not see Christ. So knowing this blindness, Paul refuses, even knowing that there's a veil there, what does he say? I refuse to tamper with God's word. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that in the moment that we are tempted the most to tamper with God's word? When we see the stubbornness of humanity. I know you've been there. Somebody that was unwilling to listen or see the truth, and they're unwilling, you go, what can I do? What can I do to to convince them? And it's in those moments where we would be tempted to tamper with, maybe you don't consider it that, but we think about it. Tamper with God's word. I refuse to tamper with God's word or practice cunning or craftiness, he says, in order to remove the veil. That's what he's talking about. I won't be crafty to try to remove the veil from them. I'm not going to do something by trickery. What does he say? By the open statement of the truth. Isn't that awesome? That's what we need. In those moments, what do we need? The truth. In that moment, what do we need to preach? The truth. Don't move away from the truth in those moments. Don't practice with cunning or craftiness or think of a way to remove the veil. Just give them the word of God. Give them the truth of the gospel. I think, I hope, hopefully you guys are like, there's a resounding amen in your hearts. Like, yes, I need this truth because I do tend to get kind of wishy-washy in those moments because, man, we're talking to human beings and if I could just convince them to see this way, I'll do... No, we need the truth. They need the truth. The open statement of the truth. And that veil being the blindness that is caused by what? The God of this world. It's a blindness that's caused by Satan, by the, bl- by the God of this world. And there's, what, there's one way for it to be removed. And Paul tells us what is that one way? It is by God who created the world and called into existence the world, and called into existence light by a very word from his mouth, looking upon those hearts and saying, light, shine there. That's awesome. Light, shine there. The same God who said, let there be light at creation is the very same God who shines light into the dark, veiled, blinded heart of a sinner. It was what we once were. If you are in Christ today, you were once blind And God shined light there. And when he does that, it gives the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's salvation. So salvation is more than an invitation to open the door for Jesus. That's what I'm trying to paint the picture of. If you mishandle that, that text, if you're tempted to use this, As an evangelistic word to non-believers, just know it's not what Jesus was saying to the church of Laodicea, and we're going to talk about that as we move forward. But it's more than just an invitation to open the door. Salvation is Christ shining His light and life into the darkness and completely removing the veil, lifting the, the blinders so that a sinner can see their sin and then see their need and then repent and put all their life in Jesus' hands. I'm yours, son. I'm following you. I'm your disciple. I repent. I hate my sin. I don't want to sin anymore. And that's all a work of Christ. So you can see the dangers of such a mishandling of the word. If if it can be done with something as as small as Revelation three twenty, imagine how far it can be taken with so many scriptures. To just look at it and go, "Well, this is what I've always heard. I've seen so many preachers do this, and it makes sense." But is it what the word intended? Is it biblical? So, even having examined the doctrine, we are convinced of this, I think, already, but the context alone tells us that Revelation 3 is not speaking to lost sinners. But who is he speaking to? He's actually speaking to professing believers in a local church. That's who he's talking to. Professing believers in a local church called Laodicea. The letters to the churches in Revelation 3 are warnings, commendations to real, actual, local churches in ancient-day Asia Minor. We need to understand this. These churches had pastors and leaders and ministries. They have the same commission that we have. Jesus gave the church the Great Commission. They had the same commission, go into the world, make disciples, teach them to obey everything I've commanded. They had the same scriptures, the same commands and ordinances. What is expected of us as God's people was also expected of them, that local church in the first century in Asia Minor. But what did Jesus find there? Look at verse 14 and 15 with me again. The angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the amen, the faithful and true, the beginning of God's creation. Verse 15, I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. And that's how he begins his letter to the church of Laodicea. What is he talking about? He's not talking about salvation. He's saying, I see your deeds and based on your deeds, I can see that you neither reject me completely or embrace me fully. You don't completely reject me, but you do not embrace me fully. And that's not good. It's a horrendous place to be based on what we see next. You are neither hot nor cold, so what are they? They are in this comfortable stream of apathy. The Laodicean church is the apathetic church. It's the apathetic Christian, the apathetic people within that church. He's addressing a church, but he's, the letter is going to be read to the entire congregation. And it was said to say to the Laodiceans, I know your works. I know your works. They're neither hot nor cold. So what are they? They're apathy, which is where many churches are today and where many individuals are today. And potentially even in this room, there are people in this room that are apathetic towards your walk with Christ, apathetic towards what God has called you to do as a man or woman of God, as a husband or wife of, that is under the Scriptures, as a child of God, apathetic. You understand what God has said. You don't reject Him, but you don't embrace Him fully. You're walking the middle line and you're going, I'm comfortable here. And I will tell you, I'm just telling you, this is, this is a letter that should be applied to everybody who walked in this door that has said, or who, maybe, maybe God will shine a light on you this morning, not say you're not saved, but you are apathetic. You need to repent because it's unhealthy. It's so unhealthy. Jesus uses some very harsh and specific words toward the apathetic people in the church of Laodicea. I don't know why I don't I don't know why people don't hear this. I mean, I know why theoretically, but from a human, this is what I'm asking. A human, why don't people hear this? If you're within the sound of my voice this morning, if you're hearing this this morning, Jesus is speaking to you through His Word. There's no place for apathy. Please don't sleep. Please don't be distracted. There's no place for apathy. If you have an I don't care mentality about anything in God's word, you run the risk of being this hot, neither hot nor cold person. So hear my voice. Hear the words of God. Hear what God is saying through his word. What Jesus specifically said. Jesus is speaking these words. There's no place for the person who says they love God, but they're just not interested in the word of God. Have you ever said that? I love God, but I can't read his word. I don't read his word. That's apathy. I love God, but I don't read His Word. So, what is that? Where, tell, show me where that is in Scripture and where that is supported. Yes, I know you need the power of God. You need, God's, you need God to do something in your life, but you're professing to be a Christian. So, don't let this be a place in your heart. I love God, but I do not love His church. I love Him, but I have a hard time gathering with His people. In fact, I barely even think about God's people. I just want to think about me and my life. I love my family. I like my place, my property, my stuff. And so you barely think about the church. When God's word is clear, to love God is shown by loving his people. You cannot love God and not love his people. So these things have to be considered. I believe in Jesus, but there are dozens of other things that based on my deeds, I just love other things as much as Jesus or maybe more. What does Jesus say to this lukewarm attitude found in Laodicea? You saw it there. I will spit you out of my mouth. Isn't that interesting, right? Jesus is painted as the lovey-dovey, gentle person of the Trinity. And I think they just missed Revelation chapter three. This is Jesus. I will spit you out of my mouth. That's harsh. And I think he wanted them to picture that. I will spit you out of my mouth. But not just them. Don't just say, well, man, poor Laodicea. No, no, he's speaking to us too. To anybody today in this room or in our culture or in the local church who live in the comfort of their apathy and say what they said, I'm rich, I'm prospering, I I need nothing. And do not realize that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Look what it says in the text. Verse 16, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. What an indictment. This is who you think you are. This is what I see. This is what Jesus sees. What is Jesus doing to the church in Laodicea? What's he doing? He's rebuking them. He's rebuking them, and we are a culture that is so distant from seeing a rebuke as a blessing. But we shouldn't be that way at this church, brothers and sisters. Any local church, any church that names the name of Jesus and truly follows Scripture, should never see a rebuke as a curse, but a rebuke as a blessing. A rebuke from Jesus means what? I love you. And he's going to say that here too. We'll get there, it gets better. But he's rebuking them. He's warning them. He's chastising them with the truth. They are wretched and poor, but they think they're rich and prospering. And this is the foundation for seeing the beauty of our chosen text in verse 20. The audience is the apathetic, lukewarm person who professes the name of Jesus. The audience is not the non believer. So that whole picture of the door, it changes. The whole picture of Jesus knocking, what's he knocking on? What is the knocking potentially like? Is it a gentle knock, knock, knock? I'm waiting for you to answer. Is it that? Are you beginning to paint maybe a different picture of what Jesus might be thinking or what he even might look like as he rebukes with love, but rebukes and calls out the deeds of a local church who professes to know him, but is apathetic towards him? Completely different picture. The problem is that they idolize their comfortable lives. Please hear me, brothers and sisters. Idolizing our comfortable lives is a sin. And it has created a wall and a door between them and the amen. Jesus opened the words to Laodicea. He says, I am the amen, the faithful and true. This is Jesus Christ. I'm speaking to you, he says talking to you i'm i'm the faithful and true i am the amen and the door is what they have built there by their apathy they're idolizing their comfort the solution comes in verse 18 and 19, he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see those whom I love, I repute, reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Again, not the repentance of a new believer, but the zeal and repentance. Of a professing believer who needs to return to Jesus. That's the knocking. The truth of Christ spoken as a chastening rebuke over those whom he desperately loves, his people, those whom he has called. That's the knocking. The knocking is a rebuke, the knocking is a call to repentance those that he desires to come to repentance. I want to spew you out of my mouth because of your apathy. I hate what you're doing. Your deeds are wretched, but I love you. Imagine if we could hear it that way. So maybe that is, maybe that is to you. Don't let's just reflect off of you. like Absorb this, and, and me too, all of us, if there's any apathy in us. We need to fight this with the truth of God's word. This apathy can come out in so many ways. It can come out in your marriages, it can come out in your home, in your work life. It can come out where you just have a carelessness about the things of God. But clearly, we see God's will for His church. He says, Buy my gold, (laughs) but He just told them they had nothing, right? So, this is what He's saying Buy my gold with your nothing, buy these garments with nothing. Take your nothing and buy this salve for your eyes so that you might see. It's like, what are you saying, Jesus? You just said we're, we're nothing. We have nothing. And that's the gospel. Isn't that beautiful? That's the gospel. He's preaching the gospel to them. He's preaching the gospel to who? The church. We, we do. We get, so that we get caught up at times. There has to be a balance. We, I need the gospel. You need the gospel. Your unbelieving neighbor needs the gospel. So who needs the gospel? Everybody. All of us. Balance that out. If your life becomes so focused on the unbeliever, which we need that focus, but we never preach the gospel to the church or to ourselves, then we're missing it. Jesus preached the gospel to the Laodicean church. Now you might say, well, that's just a local church. There could have been unbelievers in there. Yes, but it was addressed as a church. Only God knows where people actually are, but those who profess Christ, what do they need? The gospel. Because we have nothing That's what they're saying. We have nothing and we need His grace. The salve for our eyes, the garments that are white, the gold, the preciousness, the purity of Jesus, the righteousness of Christ, we can't buy those things. We need His grace. We look at all of this as a message of Jesus to the church and we start to realize how important it is to preach the gospel. Not to the lost, but to ourselves and to the church. We Brothers and sisters, need the gospel. We need the gospel so desperately. We need to come constantly to the end of self-reliance. So when Jesus, if Jesus were to say to you, hey, just take what you have and buy this precious fine gold that I have and these white garments and this salve, you would need to come to this place where you go, I don't have anything. I can't. What you are is, is far too valuable and perfect and precious. Salvation, I can't purchase it. I have nothing. And that's exactly where Jesus wants us to be. Not pretending that we have everything in order, Like the Laodicean church, not pretending that you are rich or acting like you have need of nothing, but coming to a place of spiritual poverty. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Scripture says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. And we need to come back to that place. This is what Jesus is saying. This is the content of the message. He's not saying, Come to me and be saved you who have never believed, but repent of your lukewarm Christian lives to find all your riches and your treasures in me. So that's what I want to deliver to you guys this morning, to us as a church. Whoever needs to repent of lukewarm apathy in any area of your Christian life, hear and heed the the words of Jesus Christ and turn from that apathy. I am so afraid that many people listen to hundreds of sermons in their life and never actually listen. Think about how that could possibly be the case. It's so easy by not being intentional, not listening. Heed the words of Jesus. Ask the Lord to change you. Come to him in repentance. And this is where we read this text. This kind of brought us right up to this point. Read it again in that context. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and eat with him and he with me. That's the heart of Jesus towards his people, that he longs to see them come out of apathy into a fruitful fellowship with him. Described like a meal, described like eating with him, communion with him. Of course, we should picture all kinds of things there based on what we know. Communion. Even Jesus himself being the bread. Come, eat of me. What did Jesus say? He who eats the bread that I give will never hunger. You drink the water that I give, you'll never thirst again. Here's a quote from John Bloom. He's the president of Desiring God Ministries. He says, Jesus was pounding on the door of a church whose trust in an idol put them in grave spiritual danger. Their, pro- their prosperous tepidness made him want to gag But because he loved these lukewarm Christians, he lovingly disciplined them with hard words and called them to zealous repentance and reformation. Because he loved them. So hear that. If that's you, he loves you. He loves you. He's calling you to turn and repent. So this was no polite knocking, waiting on the will of the sinner, though Jesus is certainly the most polite person there ever was. So this argument is not to say that Jesus isn't polite. It's not to say that he isn't patient, because let's say there was a door and he was knocking, he'd be the most patient person to ever be there, right? He would. We just know this about Jesus. So we get his patience. Certainly we can see that. But what this is, is the persistent, patient, loving truth of God calling his people out of lukewarmness unto desiring Jesus Christ to be in the midst of them. The knock from Christ can come from all kinds of forms. It could be this sermon. Jesus could be knocking on your heart as a believer with rebuke, with correction. It could be this sermon. It could be in your hearing it from another believer. It could be coming from another brother or sister in Christ who encourages you toward the truth. Maybe weekly, every day, they're calling you. Are you reading the Word? Are you in the Word? Are you loving Jesus? How's your worship? How's your life And you just go, well, that's great, I love you too. And you hang up the phone, you look at the text, you push it away, you go, well, no, go back to work, back to work, back to business, back to growing my kingdom, Back back to doing the things that I love. And Jesus is somewhat on the outside of that. You're building a door with your apathy. But Jesus is knocking through the rebukes that come from believers and from his word and from loving correction. Because why? He loves you. He disciplines those he loves and what happens in a church that repents of idolatry and lukewarmness? Just get the vision, the picture. What's happening here in Revelation 3? There, there ends up being peace. Look what he, look what he says. It's, it's, so, it's so beautiful. Verse 21. The one who conquers... Well, actually, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. To him and eat with him, and he with me. That's a picture of this peace, this fellowship. And then the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my Father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So the picture here is that when we repent, when a church, when a people who name the name of Christ turn from apathy to Christ, there's peace, there's fellowship. It's like a meal shared with Jesus. Where Jesus comes in, and here's the cool part. He just said, remember, you don't have anything. You're wretched, poor, blind, and naked. That's who you are. You need to realize that and, and come to me relying on my grace. But then he talks about this meal. So it's like a meal shared with Jesus where Jesus comes in and he brings all the food. He brings it all. He has everything that is necessary for that fellowship. He has all that is required. And because you didn't have much anyway, all that you lacked, he makes up for. And he fellowships with us. So, this is not a text about a quiet Savior waiting for permission to save someone. That would be mishandling the truth. My hope is that as you leave here, you leave here with a love for one, rightly handling the word, because you can see how just a slight variation can give you two different outcomes and two different ideas of God, and the doctrine of salvation, and God's patience, and all these things, that would be mishandling the truth. But when we accurately handle the truth and look at Scripture, we see that this is a loving, sovereign Savior who desires fellowship with His blood-bought people. He loves fellowship with you. He hates apathy. We get that from the text. And He stands at the door with loving rebukes. That's Jesus. He stands at the door with loving rebukes. And those who repent will enjoy true fellowship and will conquer in this life. That's a promise that you will conquer. Now you're supposed to take that and say, this is for me. This is for me as a believer, a follower of Christ, who has no reason to be ashamed. I don't have to question my salvation because there's no apathy there. I'm walking in the Spirit. I'm pursuing Christ. I'm I'm resting in His grace, not who I am or what I bring. I'm resting in His grace fully. So you conquer, and to hear the knocking and ignore the knocking is to say in your apathy and your tepidness, as John Bloom said, it only proves that you love the God of your own making more than Jesus Christ, and that is a a dangerous, horrific place to be. So he who has an ear, he says it, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. I'm so happy to be able to just at the end of this say, New City Church, God loves you. Based on this text, I can say believers in Christ, he loves you even if you are in a place of apathy and you need to repent and turn. You want to see more godly zeal, not zeal without knowledge, but zeal with biblical knowledge and excitement for the things of God that flows out in in a fruitful life. You want that? Well, God loves you. And that's why he would tell you that today. So much so that he's going to call you to repentance from sin and to true fellowship with Christ. So if that is a need for you today, turn from sin, all of us. Turn from sin and look to the richness of Christ. Look to the riches of Jesus. His grace, His kindness, His beauty, the heavenly riches that we have in Christ Jesus. Look to those things. Look to Jesus, what He's done. And all those things that no amount of money could ever buy, but only by his free grace can we come. Amen? Amen. So now is the time where you, we, we put this into practice. We, we deal with these things. I'm going to close in prayer. We're going to share communion together. There's no way you can commune with God at the communion table if you sit in your chair with apathy and no repentance. So brothers and sisters, prayerfully Deal with these things. Go to God based on his grace. Can you pray with me, church? Father, I'm asking for, a, as we do every week, Lord, a move of your spirit upon the hearts of your people, that the word of God would be supreme and ultimate, that what has been spoken today, not my words, but your word Let every quote from Scripture, let everything that comes directly from your mouth be elevated above every word in our hearts, God, that we would see that you are speaking to us, you are calling us. You hate apathy. You don't want lukewarmness. I pray, God, for every believer in this room that is in that place that they would turn by faith and with the gift of repentance that you grant us And we would turn from that sin and run to you and hide in you and believe the Scriptures. Oh, God, forgive us. Those who need forgiveness, God, because they have wandered, they are are wandering. It has affected so many places of their lives. They're constantly floundering. Their, Their questions are so, so deep, yet they never open your word or they barely do. Lord, may that change. God, may New City Church and every believer in this building, everyone in this place that names the name of Christ be not lukewarm, but on fire, fully hot, loving you and loving people. God, committed to the word of God. Oh, God, committed to grace, convinced of the gospel, only rich in you because of you, because of your goodness. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your love today. Thank you for loving us enough to give us the scriptures and remind us of your truth. I pray that we would have so rich fellowship with you, God. Lord, if there's people in this place today that are outside of fellowship, Lord, that, that veil is there. It's not a door between the unrepentant believer, but it's, it's a veil, it's a blindness. Oh, God, they live in their sin. And they have never turned from sin to follow you. God, cause light to shine. Lord, may the fruit of that light be repentance and turning from sin today to follow Jesus forever and ever and ever. To agree with the scriptures that Jesus is Lord and he is God and he is Savior and only his sacrifice was sufficient to pay for our sins. Thank you for dying in our place, God. Thank you for dying as a substitute for sinners so that by our faith we might be given the righteousness of Christ, thank you that Your resurrection proves everything that You have said. And we rest in You and we trust in You and we believe in You today, Lord. Turn every heart to You. We look to Christ. We look to our Lord. We love You in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning. For more messages from New City Church, check us out on any of the major podcasting platforms, or if you want to find our gathering
1: times, location, or any other information about New City, check out our website at bathnewcity.church. We hope to have you join us next week.